0: get started sure welcome to svu pod especially heinous i'm gabe i'm tasha we are on season six episode nine week
1: i get so weak Weak in in the the knees i I can hardly hardly speak. speak see i was harmonizing i went low you went high oh yesterday when gabe and i were kind of i was in a mood or whatever and i was being bitchy and we were on the phone and we did that little i get so weak in the knee you know yeah and she was triggered by me being cunty so she was a full on bitch <laughs> and she was what? like oh you sang it the wrong way I I went high and you went low and that's not how you go and I'm like I was harmonizing <laughs> like we're fully singing together and simultaneously
0: fighting. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay it's 4 4.47 in the morning, the camera pans to an open window with the the drapes flapping around. The camera keeps panning. The rest of the room looks like a tornado ran through it. The music gets all swelly. The camera finds a young woman in a nightgown shaking and crying in a corner of her apartment. I'm guessing it's her apartment. Benson knocks on the door and tells her she's a cop and she's there to help. The girl's name is Colleen. Benson tells her again that she's there to help and that her landlord gave her a key, but she won't use it unless Colleen tells her that she can. It seems as though Colleen is paralyzed from the waist down, so she sort of army crawls herself to the door and opens it for Benson and Stabler. Colleen says she's not hurt and Stabler gets her wheelchair for her and he asks her if it's okay to lift her and she's upset. She's like, just fucking get me in it. Yeah. You know." And I, I do like that he asked, you know, and just didn't grab her, you know.
1: Right. We can't fault either of them. Oh, you know yeah. What I mean? No, for sure. In that it's like, you should ask permission to touch her body yeah. in any situation, but then also she's yeah. just been through major trauma. She's like, get me off the fucking floor. Yeah. Shut up. I wish she would have yelled at him harder. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Benson says, You told 911 that a guy assaulted you, but you didn't call for two hours. What happened? So the perp told her to wait or he'd come back. She didn't answer when the other two cops knocked on the door because she thought it was maybe him testing her. Ugh. Then Stabler says that. They always say they'll come back, but they never do. But which, yeah, that immediately made me think of Chris Pedretti. Oh,
1: I mean, always. Yeah. yeah.
0: Hi, Chris. We love you. We love you. An officer comes into the apartment and tells him to listen to something. Dispatch gave out another report of a rape fucking four flights up. Same apartment. Holy shit. Theme song. At the other crime scene, Stabler is interviewing the second victim, Samantha. She's feeding her baby and tells Stabler that the rape happened a few hours ago around 2.30 a.m. when her and her son had just gotten home from the airport. The hallway was completely empty. When she got to her door, she put the key in and the perp grabbed her from behind and pushed them both inside. He would not let her turn on the lights. He was behind her the whole time and she didn't see anything. So now we're back with Colleen. Colleen tells Benson that when she woke up, the perp was sitting at the edge of her bed. That just fucking sitting there, like, staring at her. She thought she was dreaming until he put his hand over her mouth. He got in through the window that she always keeps locked. Cut to CSU Judy Cyper She says that the lock was broken and the fire escape ladder was pulled down. Munch think that pulling down the fire escape probably caused a lot of noise. So maybe some downstairs neighbors might have heard something? Back to Colleen. She says she never saw the perp's face. He rolled her onto her stomach and he smelled like fucking cigarettes and she remembers that he wanted her to pretend like she liked what was happening happening he kept saying like tell me you like it and blah 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 blah, blah. Uh, yeah back with the other victim samantha she says the exact same thing and she was like you know what and i said i did i just wanted to get him out of here
1: there was like shame in her voice and it cut to Stabler looking at her like absolutely fucking not
0: yeah and she said it sounded like it was something he needed to hear to get him going but he got mad that he couldn't finish then her baby started crying and he left puke i hate this whole fucking and i hate the way that they portray people with schizophrenia i mean just like they almost were making it like funny like when that one guy was like excuse me i lost my head and they're like and i'm like okay this is a very sick person right now
1: i actually loved this really i loved yes they're showing people with extreme mental illness not on medication and how mm. it can affect it you know obviously there's some early 2000s like was that supposed to be comedy there mm-hmm. you know what i mean or was that supposed to make you laugh? because that could go either way it wasn't you know bow, 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 like i didn't i didn't gather yeah. that because i was so invested in the level of acting these people were doing mm-hmm. but
0: Ooh, that one lady she's always fucking good but anyway, so uh, okay. yeah we'll get there
1: OK, they're processing everything at this crime scene apartment now. Toots is hanging his head out the window of Colleen's apartment while CSU is out on the fire escape looking for clues. This CSU tech is absolutely fucking golden ticket hyped when she finds a condom wrapper. She was so <laughs> full of joy. Uh, she's gorgeous by the way yeah mm-hmm. and she currently plays judge roberta hines on law and order regular if you want to go see her face mm. they're gonna dust everything for prince which is a lot of work considering he went up six flights mm. cut to benny chatting with colleen inside the apartment colleen tells benny that dude wore gloves so they may be out of luck on the prints. she's so broken and says the dude really showed her how helpless she is mm. uh, which is her point of view of it and queen olivia benson takes a much needed moment to let her know that it's her information that's going to help them catch this fucking puke you're not that's not helpless yeah your help is insanely crucial benny asks if there's anything else she can think of that might help so colleen thinks a minute and tells her she doesn't think she knows him but she knows that he knows her he told her she wasn't as good as he imagined she would be he was really disappointed because he thought she'd be what he called the one. Ew. What the fuck? Yeah. Outside the apartment, Munch, Toots, Benny and Stabes walking and talking, the perp went to Colleen's apartment first, then went to Samantha's to, quote, find the perfect girl. Toots is going to run the M.O. through VICAP when they get back to the precinct. Officer Tanner comes over to let them know that St. Catherine's Hospital has a rape victim who was attacked two blocks from Colleen's home. Two blocks isn't funny right now, so we're skipping it. It's Mm -hmm. possible that the same perp did it. Holy shit, they got to go to the hospital. What's going on? Yeah. Over at St. Catherine's, Benny and Staves are interviewing the newest woman who has been attacked she'd been grabbed off the street drugged to an alley and slammed against the wall but she wasn't raped she said that she screamed but nobody was around it was four in the morning and she was leaving her job at Polly's tavern I love this woman's attitude too she's Mm -hmm. like he told me not to fight that he wasn't gonna hurt me but I know that's crap so I popped him with my crutch (laughs) she had just had knee surgery and I'm like oh my god they better have not had her behind the bar at Polly's in that fucking condition she just left work at four in the morning from the bar and had knee surgery (laughs) Yeah, it's the American dream. That's the least of what we should be concerned about. But Mm -hmm. she's telling them, dude gets pissed that she hit him and he hit her head on the wall, knocking her out. She's got this big fucking scabby goose egg on her forehead, by the way. Mm -hmm. When she woke up, someone was standing over her telling her that an ambulance was on the way. As she's talking, Stabler bags one of the crutches because there's blood on the bottom of it. Just like in Colleen's case, this guy stayed behind her most of the time, but she's able to tell them that he was white, had a hoodie on, big size sunglasses, and smelled like cigarettes. She goes, guess that's not really going to help for your sketch unless it's a scratch and sniff, right? <laughs> Again, love her. I understand the trauma portion of this. I don't think that they showcase those who handle trauma with inappropriate jokes enough.
0: hmm Yeah. I mean-
1: I just, I'm not saying that SVU needs more jokes. That's, uh, but there are a lot, there are a lot of people, myself included, you included, who like process traumatic situations by being inappropriate with jokes. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: At the precinct, the squad goes over all the details. The sketch is back and Munch says that it looks like the Unabomber, which it does. Mm -hmm. Kragan wonders if it was even the same guy. He didn't rape the last victim. Benson says it's the same M.O. though. And the only reason he beat her up is because she fought back. Stabler thinks that because she was knocked out, he didn't do that because he likes his victims to be conscious. Munch thinks something scared him off. Maybe the person that found her. I don't know. Benson thinks he's a new perp and he keeps choosing victims that have something that could make them, quote, easy targets like the wheelchair, a baby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> knee surgery Kragan is like man three victims in one night he's off to a hell of a start something must have set him off Toots says that no DNA came back yet from the blood on the crutches and forensics didn't fucking find anything else Somebody had to have seen something. If Colleen was being stalked, maybe somebody saw the dude. And it's possible a delivery driver or a trash person saw the last victim get pulled in an alley. And so they're going to go ask around. Like, well, it's 430 in the morning. That means the flower district's (laughs) open.
1: Do you smell bergamot?
0: (laughs) So now we're at the French Tip Nail Salon. A lady tells Benny and Stabes that Colleen goes there once a week or so for a mani-pedi. Benson asks her if she noticed anyone paying attention to Colleen when she was in last. Another lady pipes in and says that she did a dude's nails the other day that were chewed half off and filthy. And then grabs Stabler's little mitts and says, Just like you, I have some bitter nail polish if you want some. And he's like, No, I'm a man and a dad.
1: (laughs) This gal, by the way, was in the OA, which... (sighs) I was so into that series. I might rewatch it. Did you ever watch it? I watched the first season, I think. Have you seen Suits? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what's really, really
1: good? The secretary? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. I'm a dad. She says the dude was white, average looking, and wore sunglasses. They show her the sketch, and she's like, is that a unabomber? Now we're back at the precinct. The gang is going over their findings. Toots said that a delivery guy didn't see Gina get attacked the girl that was in the alley, but did see a dude run out of the alley and hop into a Ford Taurus, but he didn't get a license plate number. And there could be fucking trillions of those in the two block radius that is all of New York City. See, I got a little two block in there. Hey, Benson wants Wong to come down to start a profile, but turns out he isn't available. He's got an assignment in D.C. at the moment. and I'm like, oh, my God, no Wong. This is such a good Wong episode. But every episode is, though, kind of, you know?
1: Yeah, there's more. I'll tell you.
0: He must have been doing something.
1: He was. Well, I guess I can tell you right now. I just had it in my notes later. So um, I don't don't want to give
0: away what he was doing in 2006.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, BD Wong was um, on Broadway. Hello. I don't remember what he was doing, Mm. but that's why they were trying to make this other lady happen just for the episodes while he was gone.
0: Oh, okay. I was wondering, I'm like, because this lady, I recognized her. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, are they trying to make her the new, like a new Wong? And like, Wong's not going to be on the show anymore, but thankfully not. No, he
1: had another engagement. Mm. And so they just wrote it differently they're like let's throw fucking her in there
0: yeah so they need to start narrowing down the info given by the witness a woman walks in she's talking to herself doesn't respond to stabler when he asks if he can help her and it's that one lady she always plays an amazing person going through like a mental health crisis you know this
1: is amanda Plummer. she's rose from so i married an axe murderer the sister oh, yeah. who's mm-hmm. the one killing people. Mm-hmm. She's Honey Bunny in Pulp Fiction. Amazing. Mm-hmm. She's oh, yeah. in the second Hunger Games movie. She's in a million different things. These are just things that stick out to me. Um, You probably know her because she voiced Princess Fallopian in Duckman, Private Dick, Family Man. <laughs> she is so amazing in this episode. She actually, here's a fun fact. She actually won an Emmy for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series for this role. <gasps> Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay, so Benson comes over. Stabler's kind of looking at her like, hey, you're a woman. You should talk to her, you know? <laughs> Benson comes over and talks to her and the woman kind of gets startled and she throws something and keeps talking about units and scores and numbers and stuff. Benson uncrumples the paper that this woman threw and it's a copy of the perp sketch and it has like writing all over it, arrows pointing to his face. Benson asks her if she was attacked and she says yes that was the reason but starts going over numbers again. Benson puts her arm around the woman's shoulder to kind of get her to turn around and she gets startled and tries to fight Stabler and Benson. She swings and hits Toots on accident and there, mm-hmm. <laughs> the noise was like like a classic post. Yeah.
1: like she knocked him down mm-hmm. craigen
0: comes out and he's like what the fuck is going on stabler gets this woman to the ground and benson says that she could be victim number four craigen tells him to get her to an ambulance the psych hospital and to ride with
1: her over at bellevue they're wheeling the woman in on a stretcher she's surrounded by first responders and the detectives are there and fucking doctors and she's having a really hard time so it's chaos her blood pressure is high her heart rate is high Uh, She tried to bite the nurse. Just a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Stabler lets the staff know the ID on her coat says her name is Miranda Cole. The staff calls for Dr. Rebecca Hendricks, who Benson knows because she used to be a cop. And I'm like, seriously, she's a former cop current doctor? I mean, good for her. Mm -hmm. I barely graduated high school. Good for her. (laughs) The doctor, she played Iggy Threadgood in Fried Green Tomatoes. Yes,
0: yes. That's what she was. One of my all-time favorite fucking movies.
1: Yeah, this is itchy. Actually, this is... Dr. Hendricks. Dr. Hendricks comes in, quickly examines Miranda, giving med orders to whoever's listening. Benny's like, hey, uh, hi. And she's like, yeah, hi. Does her biz. Mm -hmm. Benson lets her know that Miranda may have been sexually assaulted. In the exam room, Miranda is sitting up on the bed. She's a lot calmer and more lucid. Hendricks asks Miranda if she's hearing voices. She is. They're telling her that the attack was her fault. She also says it's terrorists who want to attack her and goes on about Bin Laden. She's just set up to fail. Mm -hmm. Benny leans over Dr. Hendricks's shoulder and asks Miranda when she was attacked. The doctor seems startled and super annoyed that Benny popped in like that. She gave her like a hmm. Miranda calmly responds that she was attacked yesterday and gets up Kind of nonchalantly, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna take off. The doctor tells her that nobody's gonna hurt her and has her lie back. Miranda's getting upset, saying that they can get inside her mind. Benny again over the shoulder asking Miranda to describe the person who attacked her, and again mm. she gets a look from the yeah. doctor. At this point, I'm like, are they not friends? Well, Hendrix I mean, um, she's
0: basically like, this isn't the time for cop stuff. Yeah, we're here to help her. They're both trying to do their job, basically.
1: I, I know I bring it up later, but I. Do I do not like Benny this episode. I don't like the mm-hmm. way she's treating people. I don't like the way she's talking about victims. I don't like the way that she's doing anything. I actually read something. I don't know if it was a Reddit thread or what, but I was like, what the fuck is with Benson this episode? And there was, there's a whole thing of people being like, I don't know who fucking wrote this shit, but this is not Olivia Benson. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I was like cut to mm-hmm. three years later. Right. She's not, there's just no way.
1: And this isn't her before either. Like this is like, yeah, this is a Stabes or a Munch. This is not yes. her shit. Anyway, yeah, Benny's like making chaos more chaotic, which is not her mo mm-hmm. so she keeps asking questions and miranda's squirming and yelling no 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 over her she's getting examined so they're doing this and this fucking nurse is in there and they're gonna do this exam on her this rape exam she's getting upset because she doesn't want anything inside of her which yeah i mean a rape exam for anybody is another round of being traumatized yeah on top of it this woman is in a different reality making it astronomically terrifying you know Yeah. She's freaking out. She's talking about listening devices and all this stuff. Chaos is at a 10. Dr. Hendricks orders some more meds and asks Benson to come talk with her outside of the room. Mm
0: -hmm. She
1: gives her a full once over like, you're in my house, babe. What do you think Mm -hmm. you're doing? Yeah. In the hallway, Stabler's waiting and asks what Benny found out. Out of character, Benny goes, as far as I can figure, she's been raped by a terrorist. That's where I noted that that seemed like a stabler or munch line, not Benny. Yeah. Hendrix says, "Um, okay, bitch, Miranda's clearly got schizophrenia and has probably been off her meds for a while, she hopes the antipsychotics she ordered will help calm her down so they can get more accurate information from her later. Benson wants to know, when's this rape kit going to get done? But Hendricks is caring for the patient and says it's too traumatic for Miranda right now. It's going to have to wait. Stabler asks the doctor her professional opinion on if she thinks Miranda was raped, to which she replies, quote, people with schizophrenia rarely report sexual assault, and then I pop in from around the corner and say, "Actually, people rarely report sexual assaults, but I mm-hmm. see the point of what she was saying." Yeah, the the stats on it are insane.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Benson still up there is worried about more victims. She wants this shit done fast because this evidence needs to be preserved,
0: and because of how many. I mean, the dude attacked three women in one night. She's like, "What's going right. to what's happening tonight? This is night, You know, like what happening the fuck? rapidly. Yeah,
1: time is a factor." Right. But Mm. also who their victim currently is that can get them more information is also a factor. Both trying to do their jobs. That's the debate here. Yeah. Right. Uh, During their argument of importance, what's what takes precedent? Stabler gets a call. There's another victim. Benson and Stabler go over to this souvenir shop, Broadway Souvenirs. A cop who also plays a 12-year-old in another episode, he doesn't, tells Benny and Staves, this guy looked like a child. I don't know what they do here, but he he looked like a child in a police costume. He had a jack-o'-lantern plastic. I was bucket. just gonna say he had a
0: bucket, <laughs> a bucket for candy. Oh my god.
1: I was literally gonna say that. So yeah, he's he looks like a child. He tells Benny and Stabes that Lori Switzer was attacked at the store as she was closing, which is in the same neighborhood as the other attacks. The difference mm-hmm. is she was killed. Corner Ooh. Warner's on the scene with the body ready to tell the detectives what she's got. Lori was raped from behind. Her neck was broken. There are defensive and offensive wounds on Lori's body. Corner Warner didn't find any fluid, so she believes he used a condom. And even though Lori fought really hard, she kept her fingernails super short. So there may not be any attack or DNA under them. She also mentioned that Lori had no apparent physical disability. They don't say thanks or good work or we appreciate you or even see ya.
0: They just pie face you know, him out of the
1: way. No mention of the big gulp that she was drinking. <laughs> they, yeah. just, they just walk away. In the walk and talk, Stabler mentions that the perp is evolving. He doesn't need the victim to be vulnerable. Benson adds that he doesn't need them to survive either. Mm. Benson's frustrated that Hendricks won't let them talk to Miranda. The only victim that could have seen the perp's face is right there. And Staves is like, dude, talk to your friend. She's a cop, right? Mm -hmm. Bitter Benny tells him, (laughs) yeah. We were in the academy together, and two years on the force, she decides her time is better spent shrinking heads. I don't think she remembers what we're up against.
0: Jesus. This is fucking Stabler. This is all Stabler it talk.
1: Is. Shrinking heads. It's like
0: they accidentally started reading each other's lines, and then they ran out of film, so they couldn't remake it.
1: They did this episode SNL style. So there's a guy who got fired, obviously, because he had all the cue cards. and like, whoa, 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 and jumped them all up. <laughs> jumped them all up. And uh, so everybody's saying the wrong lines. Yeah. Clearly, we figured it out.
0: Benson's like, she thinks she's better than us because she helps people in a different way.
1: What other time would Olivia Benson ever judge anyone for being... This woman is... It doesn't doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And I hate the theories that she's jealous that she's a woman.
0: Oh, is that a thing? And
1: Stabler is giving her... Oh, yeah, on this Reddit shit. It's like, well, it's because of this will they, won't they thing with Stabler. First of all, that is not really in the cards yet. It's just annoying. I'm surprised they didn't go rare yeah can't fight that's not the benson that we know and love that's not i don't i don't see it
0: at the hospital benson and able to go to talk to hendrix benson demands to talk to miranda and the rape kit to be done right now she's like i'll show her hendrix tells them that it's already done and that they can talk to miranda since she's responding well to the meds
1: she's actually being really patient with these detectives that are being total dicks
0: yeah. Then Stabler says, oh, wow, finally a shrink that gut set. I wish all you guys were cops. Fucking shut up. Miranda mm. hasn't talked about the rape. Hendrix tries to warn them about schizophrenia and PTSD from attacks and how it's different from usual PTSD. She won't just have flashbacks. She will relive it and all the sounds and sensations will feel actually real. Ugh. Then... Hendri- I know.
1: And then they're aware of this. They're aware of this, mm-hmm. that this woman is going to be going through the thing that you fight against every day in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you're still going to be right. This doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. But Benny's looking for a fight, of course. I mean, she's like, oh, Hendrix mm-hmm. is going to get in our way. But but Hendrix offers to go in with them to facilitate. And Ben's like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> Okay, well, we're not
1: fighting. She's getting more and more irritated with Stabler, I guess, not being on her team. You could simplify it as. But she's like, oh, do you want me to go in and, and help? Stabler's like, yeah, that'd be fucking great. Yeah. And Benny's like, I- <sighs> Stabler, Elliot, I
0: don't like her, so you can't like her either. She's like, did you
1: just kick me under the table? And she's like, you're not supposed to say that.
0: Where did you get this table from? When did you set it up? <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I don't want any more pepper on my spaghetti. Who is this guy? A French? Fresh <laughs> we uh, at the exact same time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, um I love you.
1: What was I gonna say?
0: Uh I said I love you.
1: Oh, I love you too.
0: <laughs> okay, cool anyway all right so now they go in to talk to miranda she kind of remembers coming to the police department and remembers that something happened to her but she doesn't think that they'll believe her but of course benson assures her this is like the only thing nice thing she whatever but of course benson assures her and tells her that they do believe her miranda says that the attacker read her mind and that he controlled her eyes so she couldn't see him and he kept teleporting so he was always behind her she can hear him Don't scream or I'll kill you. And the guy communicates through the light. She says that someone in Pakistan tells him how to do it. Then she starts scratching her arm and drawing a little bit of blood.
1: Because what she's experiencing, she's experiencing what she's describing. Just like Dr. Hendricks had said. She's reliving it. Yeah. So it's getting more and more intense.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Benson shows her the sketch and asks if that's who raped her. Miranda starts to get super upset and keeps scratching really hard. Hendrix has to come over and calm her down and kind of grabs her arms and you know you know, to keep her from scratching and tells her she doesn't have to say anything else. So back at the precinct, Craggan's getting updated on Miranda. Stabler thinks Miranda was attacked by the same perp. The MO is the same. All the other victims were raped from behind as well. Benson brings up that Hendricks said Miranda may have incorporated news reports into what happened. And that's pretty common with um, people experiencing schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. That's why she was saying stuff about Pakistan and, right. you know, bin Laden. Right. Stabler thinks they should talk to Miranda again when she's more, quote, stable. Kragan gets a call. The lab found semen in Miranda's rape kit, and there's a fucking match.
1: What? boom on the street they get out of the car and see two dudes one in a hat and a gray hoodie one older guy in a wheelchair in true svu fashion benny as she gets out of the car just yells out raymond ettinger <laughs> hoodie dude is raymond fucking takes off but is immediately tackled by staves and as he's cuffed starts yelling shit about staler being a spider who's going to turn him into broken glass don't be a werewolf this guy is clearly has schizophrenia as well and is unmedicated mm. uh they start mirandizing him and carrying him to the the car and the old guy that he was chatting with was like don't hurt him he can't help it which i thought was really sweet Mm -hmm. back at the precinct raymond is being interviewed he's rambling going from one thing to the other and none of it makes sense but he's connecting it in his own mind it's a key made of hair i could look at a point on the wall and crawl right inside sometimes it's too sticky just going on it's very 12 monkeys brad pitt Mm -hmm. and i cannot believe this dude Mm. only had like four acting credits he was phenomenal yeah he was and stabler are just sitting across from him, obviously confused. They're like, okay, we're not going to have a productive conversation here. Mm -hmm. So later, they've got Dr. Hendricks in to watch him from the other side of the glass with them. He's in the interrogation room alone going on about Julie Andrews and stuff. Hendricks calls him Ray Ray. He's a frequent patient at the hospital. She thinks he and Miranda must have had sex in the ward. He was released from the ward that morning. Stabler asks if Hendricks thinks the sex was consensual and she said it happens all the time. Also, That Ray Ray is not a rapist. His DNA is in the system for filing hundreds of false reports about his neighbor trying to murder his cat. Mm -hmm. Benson's like, oh, well, that's good news. It means Miranda wasn't raped, I guess. That's not what it means. But yeah, this is bizarro world Benson. So Hendricks still thinks that she was raped based on her own conversation with Miranda. Benson argues that the spermicide present for other victims wasn't present in Miranda's rape kit and the only semen was Ray's. Hmm. Hendricks argues Mm -hmm. that people that have schizophrenia can lose perception of time. Miranda may have had that happen to her, even though Miranda's saying something happened yesterday. It could have happened a week ago. So that evidence wouldn't be present on her. Stabler says that Miranda fits the profile of a victim the perp would have chosen. He actually calls her a, quote, schizo off her meds. Oh, how far we've come. Mm -hmm. I hope. Hendricks backs that up by saying people with schizophrenia are twice as likely to be assaulted. Benson says that does not help them figure Mm -hmm. out when Miranda was raped, though.
0: Yeah, she was like, statistics don't help me figure it out. I'm like, "Right?"
1: It's like, no, I'm just letting you know that fucking you can't just write it off and Mm -hmm. say that she wasn't assaulted. Because if there is some evidence and her saying this happened, it's much more probable. Mm -hmm. Stabler wants to bring Ray back to Bellevue and talk to Miranda.
0: Hendricks, Benson, and Stabler get back to Bellevue Hospital. Hendricks asks the front counter lady if Miranda was awake. Unfortunately, Miranda had checked herself out as soon as the 24-hour hold was over. You'd think that they had been all over that 24-hour timer and had someone there to keep tabs on her because she's a fucking victim.
1: And they also would all know that. Like, between the three of them, they would know that.
0: They'd be like, oh, shit, we got, like, 45 minutes before the 24-hour hold is up, like, Stabler. I got to go do this. Will will you run there? Mm -hmm. And, like, if she leaves, make sure you keep tabs on her or somebody, you know? yeah. Okay. They're like, oh,
1: man, how could this have happened? (laughs) You mean you guys have a policy that we probably know about because we work with this population? (laughs) quite a bit <laughs> if they have twice the rate of being attacked then like don't you think you'd know about shit at Bellevue yeah. I mean whatever well
0: even before when they were in Kragan's office and Stabler's like we gotta go talk to Miranda she's on a 24 hour hold so we should go talk to her like you, you knew about it oh shit you said it out loud Stabler
1: <laughs> and they're like well 24 hours went by and she like, 24 hours went by time fucking flies huh what What in the hell time flies this is day? wild you guys remember the
0: 90s yeah. shit <laughs> It's crazy. <laughs> or at least be like, hey, front desk people, if she signs herself out, um, will you fucking quit call me mm-hmm. or something? This is weird because they're like, oh, <gasps> I can't believe this happened. Back at the precinct, they can't find Miranda. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Hendrix says she wouldn't tell her where she lives, so she doesn't think that she has a permanent address. Benson thinks she should have been held longer, but they can't force her to stay unless the court makes her. Benson gets angry and starts fucking bitching about the mental health system and is like, pfft. This is how the system works. Only medicating long enough to release them, they leave and get off meds. They become a victim or commit a crime, and cops have to clean up your mess. And I'm like, okay. First of all, don't get me fucking started. Don't
1: get me started. It's not even the
0: mental health professionals most of the time. Oh. It's the fucking government and how this they should accept, Put some of that money into other resources because police are only supposed to like keep the peace. We should have like mental health people. We should have you know. Um, there needs to
1: be a broader spectrum of first responders based on the yeah. And that's good for the police too to like take that off their fucking plates. Benson why are you so fucking panty wadded about this lady. You're taking out your frustrations with the entire system on her. Why aren't you yelling at the people that work in all of these fucking systems mm-hmm. that have this shit that have these issues. You think there isn't yeah. a fucking
0: revolving door in your job. Right. Like why aren't you bitching for there to be more social workers better pay.
1: I'm so glad that this is not her. Yeah. If this is who who wrote this? Who wrote this episode? It's
0: fucking yeah. I just can't even get started on this whole fucking thing because it's I like Hendricks says, "Oh, I should lock them up to make your job easier." And Benson says, "Yes, if it keeps them safe." Hendricks replies, "I left the job because I got sick of locking them up. I would rather treat criminals and help the victims." And Benson says. You think Miranda's being helped right now on the street? Craig is like, okay, you know what? We can all agree. At this moment, Miranda is not safe. We got to find her. And then asks if anybody knows if she has any relatives. Hendrix says that Miranda has a sister and they could check there. She's going to go look through her records to find any info. And then... Cragen tells Benny and Stapes to go look through public records. Stabler asks Hendricks to stay with them while they look for Miranda. Benson looks fucking, she looks pissed. She's like giving him a side eye. She's like, ah, I already have a job. Stabler says, then what are you doing here? I know you're not a cop, but I know you want to find this guy as badly as we do. And Miranda trusts you. And now, now they look back at it. I'm like, are they flirting
1: a little bit? I mean, that's, I guess they're trying to set now that, that up. Now that you said that like Reddit thing or after that Benson thing, I'm like, hmm. They're just pushing Benny's butt buttons. At this point, like it feels like Stabler. I don't think it's like, oh, he wants to bone this lady, so I'm gonna let her be a part of my investigation. He's a goddamn professional. He doesn't like shrinks and shit. For sure. But also, Benny's getting worked up, and I think he's kind of like, you know Hmm. what? When your life is falling apart, you might be kind of shitty to others, right? So his life's falling apart. Benny's like, I don't really like this. And he's like, oh, I don't mind it. I think it's fine. And then Stabler and Craig looked at each other and were like, am I right? Meow, cat fight in the apartment of Margot Sanders. That you, that was really
0: pretty. Danny <laughs> saying cat, cat fight. You like really nailed that. You're like
1: catfight. fight. <laughs> you did it really good. <laughs> All three. BFF best friends, reluctant Olivia Benson, Stabler, and Dr. Hendricks go over to the apartment of Margot Sanders, Miranda's sister. Margot says that Miranda got an internship in DC, and that's when she started showing signs of schizophrenia. This woman, Margot, she's been in a bunch of stuff, but is mostly known as Marissa Morgan in 125 episodes of Bull, a show made for the demo that also includes shit like House and Burn Notice and uh, White Collar and suits Hmm. right have you ever watched that show bull Yeah.
0: Is it a doctor, lawyer or?
1: I think it's a lawyer Um, or I think it's like a human lie detector. Get it? Bull. And his last name is probably Bull and he probably doesn't take any fucking shit from anybody. He takes the bull by the fucking horns. That's how he lives his life. I don't know.
0: No, that human lie detector thing. That was a different show.
1: Maybe he's a really good liar and he's a lawyer. All right. Anyway, this this chick is in Bull if you watch that show.
0: Um, never even heard of it till right now.
1: Margot, Miranda's sister. She's talking about when Margot started showing signs of schizophrenia. Okay. Margot says that Miranda called her four days ago and was in super rough shape. As she's telling them about this phone call, she's getting super emotional. Miranda was rambling about a man that tried to kill her, but she's always saying that someone's trying to kill her. She also said that the man hurt her inside and now mm. Margo's feeling really bad for not believing her. Dr. Hendricks asks her where Miranda might be, and Margo had bought Miranda an apartment after their parents died. It's in the Upper West Side near where the other rapes happened, but Miranda doesn't stay there much. So now they have another place to check out. They're gonna go to Miranda's apartment. Benson, Hendricks, and Stabler walk into Miranda's apartment. The windows are covered. There's no lights, which makes sense since Miranda said she believes they, whoever they are, uh, communicate through the lights. Mm -hmm. She's got soda tabs or as we say in the midwest pop tops mm-hmm. linked all over they're they're linked together and hanging like what are those beaded curtains right but it's mm-hmm. these soda tabs Hendricks thinks it's for protection against surveillance mind reading maybe chemical weapons Miranda has decided that this does something right there are mm-hmm. notes and papers everywhere with equations and stuff it's all part of her fixation as a result of the schizophrenia they find Miranda mm-hmm. inside a closet with foil over the doorway she's in there to protect herself she's rocking on the floor repeating I'm blocking you I'm blocking you it's not safe I've been blocking him and he's come in anyway it's not safe Dr. Hendricks goes who got in and Miranda answers her three then four Stabler realizes she's talking about the number of victims somehow he Mm -hmm. realizes that Benny and Stabes go into the kitchen looking around they realize Miranda preserved her own crime scene by putting the foil up her pants are on the floor from her assault and they're like holy shit this is awful, but great for us to be able to have this stuff. Miranda and Dr. Hendricks come into the kitchen. Miranda starts talking as if she's the attacker, just repeating what he had said to her during her assault. She described his appearance and says he has a disguise over his eyes, meaning sunglasses. Mm -hmm. His head was full of bugs and he left one to spy on her. Stabler finds some blood on a cabinet, just this little speck of blood awesome Miranda goes back to repeating what he had said which included say my name say Thomas and they're all like holy shit her acting in that was just Mm -hmm. oh she's so good back at the precinct squad's going over the new details there are Ford Tauruses registered to Thomas's all over the city about 150 of them Ford Taurus super common car name Thomas super common name Mm -hmm. they're really trying to break it down though so there's 150 of them Across the city. But there's only one registered to a guy named Thomas near where the rapes happened. The guy's name is Thomas Mathers. Stabes pins up his ID. He's got no priors and is a part time data entry clerk for an insurance company.
0: He looks like um, the guy from Three's Company to me. Um, (gasps) He
1: does. Yeah. mm. Um, Sean Ritter. Ritter. John Ritter. Yes. Uh, He was Milton in The Walking Dead. Angus in The L Word. He was in Dallas Buyers Club, The Grey, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma. He's been in a ton of stuff. He will return, I think, season 16. He comes back way later in the series. Toots comes in. The blood from Miranda's kitchen matches the blood from The Crutch— Remember that they had gotten from victim number three, Gina? Mm-hmm. Craigen calls for a background check on Mathers and wants Corner Warner to do a house call. He tells Stabler to use his powers of persuasion to get Mathers to volunteer a DNA sample. And I'm like, did he just tell Stabler to bust this stew's jaw?
0: I was just going to say, was he going to, like, kick down the door? Is that what he's straight up asking him to do?
1: Stabler, use your powers of persuasion. You know that thing that you do that I, wink, wink, have to take your gun away from you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's like, hey, Stabes, you want three days off? Why don't you use your powers of persuasion on this guy?
0: Kill him. That's what I'm saying.
1: Kill this guy. Could you <laughs> kill this guy? So i was just like, fuck yeah, I could. Finally,
0: a captain who gets it.
1: <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> At the
0: apartment of Thomas Mathers, Stabler knocks on the door. A hot guy opens it in a towel. There's some stupid music playing in the background, but it's not Thomas. His name is Alan. And I could only think of Alan from Barbie. Because this, this, was, this was the perfect Alan for Barbie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like oh my god i love that so alan's like yeah but he's you know indisposed but he lets them in
1: so this guy is like an 11 out of 10 standard hot guy he is a ken yeah they're like can we come in and they walk in and they walk in and corner warner's like hi she
0: like (laughs) looks him up and down and says hi
1: yeah yeah (laughs) She's like, I'm just excited to be here. Don't worry about getting dressed. Stay comfortable, whatever you need. Yeah. It was good. It was good. She was. It was funny. I liked her getting like a little moment of Mm -hmm. a little human moment. Was it appropriate? No, you're a professional. But did I like it? I did. Yes.
0: So they ask if Thomas is his roommate and he kind of hesitates and says, yeah. They ask Alan if he smokes and he says he quit a year ago and that Thomas hates it. And then Steve was like, bro, can you go get dressed? Like, we'll just wait for Thomas. Toots
1: it's notices It's a scene from uh, What is that Yes What is that yes. movie Where With
0: Marky Mark And he's like
1: Put on a <laughs> yeah. shirt Will you put like, on a shirt could, Date night Could you put on a Fucking shirt
0: Yeah Tina Fey's like No you're good Yeah And then that Gal Gadol comes down And she's like Do we have to fuck them They look weak
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god Weak That's the name of the episode <laughs> Exactly This is crazy
0: Okay Toots finds a photo Alan and Thomas Are clearly a couple And then Corner Warner goes Ugh damn shame
1: she <laughs> legit ends it with mm, mm, mm. we're like we get it you want to fuck that guy can you yeah. do your job <laughs> so alan comes back out with
0: clothes on wah wah he wants to know why they want to talk to thomas corner warner's
1: like i'm fucking out of here this is yeah.
0: bullshit she flips the table and spits i was gonna
1: say she oh. flips the table and <laughs> fucking gets at her <laughs>
0: Uh, Stabler tells him it's for an investigation on sexual assaults on women in the neighborhood. Alan kind of laughs and he's like, you think Thomas is a perp? So Thomas comes out of the bathroom. Stabler asks him about his car he does drive the Taurus still. They ask him if he can account for his whereabouts three nights ago. He avoids the question. Alan says, he was here. We went to bed at 10. Thomas is like, oh my god, why don't you broadcast it? And Alan says, dude, they're investigating. You can't come out of the closet for that? And then Thomas is super embarrassed. Stabler tells Thomas he needs him to answer the questions for himself and asks Thomas again where he was three nights ago. Thomas reluctantly says he was at home in bed. And then Toots jumps in for no reason and says, in bed alone? And like, may Makes him say he was at home in bed with Alan. Like that, you don't, like, shut up. Yeah, so Toots, like, makes him say that he's gay and that was at home in bed with Alan. Stabler's like, see, that wasn't so hard. I'm like, okay. Stabler asks for a DNA sample and then they'll be on their way. Thomas says, no, he doesn't want to. And then Alan says, dude, they're not going to categorize it as, quote, homo blood. I'm like, damn. Corner Warner says, no blood, just a little swab. At the precinct, Stabler and Cragen do a little walk and talk. Stabes is updating him on Thomas. He doesn't think Thomas is the perp because he's gay. Okay. Craig can tell Stabler that it doesn't explain what Benson and Munch found. Benson says that trouble seems to follow Thomas wherever he goes. While he was in college in Michigan, there was a lot of unsolved peeping incidents. They stopped when he no longer attended the school and when he took three extended leaves, it all stopped. Munch mm-hmm. says Thomas moved to Cleveland and while he lived there for two years, there were several unsolved BEs. Female victims, nothing missing. Benson says that, either Alan is a liar or a heavy sleeper. The night of the attacks, Thomas got a call around 10 p.m. from Queens where his mom lives. Then at midnight there was an outgoing call from Queens so he wasn't even near where the rapes were. Stabler points out that Colleen was raped around 2 a.m. so it all just kind of depends on how long Thomas was in Queens that night. Craigan wants him to go ask Thomas's mom about the visit. Now Munch and Toots are at Mrs. Mather's house. Thomas's mom says that he didn't mention anything about a car accident and Munch says that they just need to confirm his whereabouts maybe Maybe it wasn't even his car they're being all shifty and saying his car was in a hit and run to get her to
1: talk yeah i don't even know if they can do that i don't know cops they can do that they can lie about everything oh i didn't know that oh also thomas's mom plays dawn's mom in welcome to the dollhouse
0: i don't know if i've ever seen that
1: really feels like a you you
0: I'll have to Google it. Maybe I have. She says Thomas would never hit someone and drive away. She had just been on the phone with her friend fucking Helen or something, and she walks off to hang up her phone call. And Munch and Toots do a little side judging about how she's smoking indoors and how the house smells like shit, and they're both going to smell like an ashtray, but it's just like the perp. Mm -hmm. All the victims said that he smelled like cigarettes. She tells them that three days ago, he was there a little after midnight and stayed for about 20 minutes because the furnace was messing up. Munch volunteers to take a look because he had an uncle that into fixing shit so she shows him the basement fucking Thomas shows up and he's mad that they're there he's like we can't just be harassing people Munch comes back up from the basement his hands are filthy he tells Thomas's mom that the furnace is a lost cause I'm gonna need a manicure Toots tells him if he needs a manicure he can ask Thomas where he can go Munch grabs Thomas and says he can make an appointment for me down at the station I at first thought they were making some kind of like early 2000 gay joke like oh he does his nails because he's gay but then I forgot oh. that he was actually in a salon with Colleen yeah. Because I was like, oh, that's fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) Munch arrests Thomas for Lori's murder. We forget about Lori almost this whole time because she was like the last and only victim that was killed. But Mm -hmm. she's not really brought up much.
1: Back at the precinct, Thomas is sitting in an interrogation room as we pan through to the other side of the glass in Cragen's corner booth at the Maple. He sits with his best friends, Clark and Darla, and watches over his plastic menu as Chris Brander walks in with pop sensation (laughs) Samantha James. His friend and favorite bartender, Jamie Palomino, is going to (laughs) freak out. Stabler and Benny are Clark and Darla in this situation. (laughs) Plastic menus. These won't do. (laughs) Stabler thinks Thomas is using living with Alan as a cover and he's just pretending to be gay. He's been in a relationship with Alan for a year at this point. And I'm like, that is a long, you're playing the <laughs> long, game, long game. That's a long game. Benson reminds them that rape isn't about sexual attraction. It's about power. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Regular Benson is back now. Come on, guys. It's literally what we do. We are the sex crimes unit. That is a basic piece of information. Like what rape is Mm -hmm. just then Hendricks walks in. She gets fucking hard eyeballs from Benny, but just goes, Stabler asked me to come by. Um, hi. Hendrix gets no more than three steps in the door and Stabler goes, hey, why would a homosexual man rape women? <laughs> and she tells him she needs to know more about their psychopathology before she can speculate on that. And this is where I said, why is Huang not here? Because I missed that first part in the beginning. Yeah. B.D. Wong was on Broadway in the musical Pacific Overtures. That was the musical he was in.
0: Oh, okay. I do like how she says, I don't know, kind of the same reason a heterosexual man would. The same thing that Benny said, pretty much. For the same reason because exactly. of power. Yeah.
1: They're on the same page they're on the same mm-hmm. page stabler wants hendrix to sit in on the investigation this is where i was like is he fucking with benson because it feels like it
0: yeah like why like, yeah, can't she just look through the glass like huang does most of the time
1: exactly benny can't believe stabes is pushing for this but Kragen agrees with him okay hendrix benson exact yeah why can't she just sit on the other side of the glass in the corner booth order some fries with Kragen, and fucking do the shit that huang always does <laughs> yeah Huang rarely is in the interview room. They leave and fucking come out and talk to him. Now I'm extra annoyed. Hendricks, Benson, and Stabler go into the interview room. Thomas immediately denies the rapes and says he forgot he went to his mom's. So sorry I didn't tell you that. Stabler asks him, did Alan forget too? Because he said the same thing that you did. He alibied you when you were at your mom's. Mm." Thomas goes, well, Alan had a few drinks and he didn't wake up when I left. To go to my mom's so mm. that's why that covers alan as they're talking benny innocuously calls alan thomas's boyfriend i don't remember the sentence she said but she was just like well then why would your boyfriend blah blah blah?" and thomas fucking snaps at her saying alan isn't his boyfriend he calls it disgusting and doesn't want to talk about, quote, that kind of stuff. Mm. Stabler tells him, uh, now, Tom, the only one in the room who's got a problem with homosexuals is you. Get over it. Okay. They're here. They're queer. Get over it. <laughs> Which, thank you, Stabler. I love you. In this mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Cut to him slurring up trans people, trans sex workers. Oh, like, all of the
0: He's like, fuck your chicken wings. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. That is a
0: hard callback.
1: Hard callback. What is that like? The to like episode, episode? one. <laughs> yeah. Was it one, two, one or two or three? It's very like that. early. Okay. I love you, too. It's okay. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Hendrix points out to Thomas that he's bleeding and Thomas stammers that he cut himself shaving. He just like dabs his neck. He's like, well, ugh, I fucking big deal.
0: He has a full on beard, though.
1: <laughs> Benson asks him why he's hung up about being gay. Maybe he can't answer that why he's hung up about it like you don't I don't know I get it I get the whole thing or whatever but they're like if you're gay just be gay and it's like it was still illegal for gay people to get married at this time so like I don't know why you're acting like it's like it's NBD it is 2005
0: right um but like six years earlier Matthew Shepard come on
1: right exactly Thomas says he's not gay. He's going through a thing. Mm -hmm. And when asked if he's ever had a girlfriend, he says that lots of guys don't find the right girl. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, the right girl? Mm Mm-hmm remember in the beginning i could
0: have been the one
1: he's like yeah big deal i haven't had a girlfriend so benny's trying to relate to him here and is like yeah that's true it's tough being single it's tough being a single tomato in the city Mm -hmm. he gets mad at benson for trying to meet him where he's at and tells her that she wouldn't look fucking twice at him or give him the time of day don't compare your situation to mine you wouldn't fucking even look my way if we were on the street what the fuck dude Mm -hmm. benson a whole ass other person relating and being single has nothing to do with you yeah he's like if i asked you out you wouldn't even you'd spit on my face yeah these are the diamonds in the flog we're just throwing incel into Mm -hmm. this portion of things he says he doesn't need her pity Stable goes yeah you're just looking for the right girl And one day you'll rape her and live happily ever after.
0: Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Jeez.
1: He's being a dick to the guy if you guys can't. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Later, they're all out in the squad room. Novak's there now. Stabler tells her that Thomas is the perp without a doubt. Benny goes, yeah, he's the worst fucking liar I've ever seen. Novak is new to the conversation, so is brand new confused about a gay man sexually assaulting women. Mm Mm-hmm. Duh. Hendricks says that Thomas is no different from any other rapist. How? Why do none of you get that? None of you that work in this field. Okay. Men like Thomas view all sexuality as sick and depraved. Sex equals degradation and violence. Stabler, who apparently has a psych degree from Internet University, chimes in. Thomas probably blames women for making him gay. He makes them say they like it and shit. Maybe he believes that if they found him attractive, he'd be fixed. I wish Huang could hear him right now. I know. I wish Huang could be there to, to go, yeah, bud. Look at you. You're getting it. But instead, he's on Broadway. Hendricks has to do another lap on reminding everybody that this dude's sexual preference is incidental. He's first and foremost a rapist, has nothing to do with who he is attracted to.
0: He could be either way.
1: Right. Novak's like, great, whatever, arrest him. But Daddy Craig's walks out and tells them, hold on. Thomas's DNA didn't match the DNA at the crime scene.
0: Mm. (gasps) What? Yeah, what? It's
1: so late in the episode. What's fucking happening? I know. This is so wild and out of the
0: blue. Every now and then I kept thinking, what if it's the doctor lady? What if she's doing something somehow? Oh. I don't know why, but I think it's because I recognized her.
1: Yeah. So fuck. They're, they're just like, yeah, it's the the DNA doesn't match. Novak tells him, okay, fine. I just said arrest him, but actually cut him loose. She and Cragen both fuck off, leaving Benny Staves and Hendricks standing there in a circle holding their dicks. Hendrix is certain that there's been a mistake. Thomas has to be the rapist. And Benny's like, girl, we have literal physical evidence that he's not. What Mm. are you, stupid? What Mm. are you, new here? You're not a part of the team. Uh Uh-huh. Stabler thinks maybe, maybe he worked with an accomplice or something, you guys? Benny can't. She fucking can't. OMG, Elliot. Every victim told us the same story. Why are you trying to make this work? Are we best friends or not? And they're just like, boom, boom, back and forth. They're fully arguing until mm-hmm. Benny goes, I can't believe you're taking a shrink's opinion over actual facts
0: and mm-hmm.
1: huffs in Dr. Hendrix's face like a total fucking bitch and walks away. And Hendrix is just standing there as uncomfortable as you'd imagine you would be in that situation when somebody is talking about you next to your face. Mm-hmm. And she just goes, bye, <laughs> and walks out. Mm-hmm. Just, the argument continues. Benny isn't sure any of Miranda's statement is reliable considering her mental state. So who knows if the perp's name is even Thomas. Benson wants to talk to Miranda without Hendricks there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Staves is pretty calm the whole time and finally goes, "Um, dude, what's your problem? She's a cop. It's cool. Benny gets capital M mad about it. No, she's not. She thought that being a cop wasn't good enough. So she quit. And Stabler asks her if this is about quote some inferiority complex oh my god are we in bizarro world because this is stabler yeah. talking to benny right and this is an other way around situation in most cases benny fucking reads him oh god and goes hey man hey buddy i know you're on the rebound and everything but if you could just go ahead and keep it out of work that'd be great oh. Oh, he squints a little Mm -hmm. and walks. He just looks at her like, "Mm, mm -hmm." like, you know, that you just fucking stepped in it. Yeah. Hard. Things escalated. This was their version of us being on FaceTime when we shouldn't have been and both being like, fuck you and hanging up. (laughs) And then being like, oh, that was too far. Yeah. That was too far, Benny. Like, do not bring Kath and the kids into this shit. Do not.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I like audibly gasped.
1: It was fucked up to say.
0: Yeah. By myself in my office, audibly went like that. Yeah, Danny was like, what? And I go, oh, my God, Olivia just said some fucked up shit to Stabler. And he was like, what? I'm like, you wouldn't
1: get it. We're speaking with our minds. <laughs> and he's like, dogs have beef, too. It's delicious. <laughs> so he leaves Benny just fucking standing there with. All that awful shit that just came out of her mouth. I don't think she apologizes to him, does she? No. Well, not in this episode. Yeah. They don't resolve this fucking Hendrick shit. And it's going to continue because she's going to be around for a minute. Mm-hmm. Five more to be exact. I don't think as Stabler's walking through the unlit underground tunnels of the precinct hallway, because God forbid we light a room, Hendrick's jump scare pops out. She was sitting there waiting for him. She's like, Stabler. Mm-hmm. She's like, I have to talk to you for a second. I don't want to fuck with uh, you and Benson, who clearly is having a hard time. She was yelling. I heard everything. Mm-hmm. It's very awkward for everyone else here now. I can't let go of this shit that I'm thinking about from the interview. Thomas was bleeding. Okay. he says it was cut from shaving but the cut was new and he's got a full-on beard he hadn't shaved in days clearly we gotta find out what this is all about Mm -hmm. and stabler's like we're partners now in the crime lab forensics technician late night with ryan o'halloran says (laughs) (laughs) that the blood samples have a low platelet count so it would take the blood longer to clot it could be because of disease or possibly drugs. They can rerun the blood samples for a tox screen, but they need to know what drug to look for. Hendricks brings up, oh yeah, duh. Remember all those medical leaves Thomas took while he was in college? We could call the school... And get the information why he took the medical leaves.
0: One of her patients she did that with, right?
1: She had to do that with someone who had passed to get information for a very by the book situation in her history. And she's like, I know this is sneaky shit, but this is a thing that we could do to get this information. But I can't do it because I'm a doctor and I swore an oath and I have ethics. I could lose my license. But Dr. Elliot can because. Because cops can lie all they want. Mm-hmm. They can lie all they want. So Dr. Elliot will be making that phone call.
0: Now we're back at a Miranda's apartment. I said, said
1: it. Now more. we're back at a Miranda's apartment. Fresh. Baby. Okay. Um <laughs>
0: Back at Miranda's apartment, Benson goes to talk to her. Her sister is also at her apartment, which I love. I'm like, i oh, stay together forever, you guys. Benson asks about the attack and if there were two men. And Miranda mentions something about a library, like through her kind of ramblings about different stuff. Mm-hmm. Benson asks Miranda if she can show her where she saw him, the perp that is, or Thomas. Now they're at the library. At the library, Miranda stops in a row of books shelves and says that the perp was pretending to read, but she knew he was watching her. And she says, Principles of Particle Physics and kind of nods over at one row. And Benson finds this book called Principle of Particle Physics. Miranda goes on to talk about recording and taking thoughts from her. Benson grabs Miranda and says, promise me you're going to take your meds. That will make the terrorists go away. And then Miranda says, they're recording you too. Benson realizes that Miranda is talking about security cameras when she looks up and sees security cameras. (laughs) Back at the precinct, Stabler and Hendricks tell Benson that Thomas's blood didn't match because he had leukemia when he was in college. His bone marrow was from a donor, so the DNA in his blood test doesn't match the DNA from the cheek swab, which is crazy to me. This is the last moment. We're at minute 40 and 48 seconds. My God. But then Stabler says that he didn't get the info on the, quote, up and up, so it's not enough to get a warrant to retest him. Benson holds out a a giant VHS tape and says, this is... <laughs> it's got thomas on tape stalking miranda you can see his face because for some reason he didn't wear his signature sunglasses at the arraignment thomas is denied bail hendrix shows up and she tells benson that miranda cole died by suicide that morning benson's upset and then it's like mad it's like what is this someone i told you so lecture i'm like fucking geez dude get off her dick right it's not about you yeah and then hendrix says Her death has nothing to do with you. The disease killed her. The voices in her head that have been telling her to do this for years. The voices that got louder after she was raped. You can't save everyone, Olivia. I'm sorry. And then leaves. And that's fucking Toyota. Hmm.
1: This fucking chaser had me by the nuts, dude. Really? I could not for the life of me find something to tie it together, to tie a true crime with the episode. All of my searches had me chase my own tail back to the episode. Like every time I'd be like, okay, I would just Google different aspects of the show Mm -hmm. and nothing was specific enough. And then every time where I got too specific, it'd be like, this episode of SVU has this actor and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, God damn it. I did find a story about a dude named Earl Most pleading his innocence of two violent sexual assaults to the media by yelling, I'm just an innocent gay guy. But that was all the story I could find. I tried. Also, he had been previously incarcerated for the rape of a 14-year-old girl. So Mm. I think he was just trying to use the LGBTQ community in that situation. Also- A dude in Glasgow who was cleared of a rape allegation. The big story was, OMG, you guys, he's a gold star gay. He would never. So that was the whole fucking bullshit argument. The gay argument was so bizarre, but it was a fairly widespread misconception. It probably still I'm sure there's still plenty of people who would be like, that wouldn't happen because they're gay. Mm -hmm. So then I started diving into the mental health portion and... I ended up sticking with that, okay? According to a 2014 study published in Science Daily based on a survey in London, 40% of women with severe mental illness are victims of rape or attempted rape, and of those, 53% had attempted suicide. Mm. Statistics show that these women are five times more likely to be sexually assaulted and two to three times more likely to experience domestic violence. The numbers are staggering, but also arbitrary because so many sexual assaults aren't reported to begin with, you know, Mm. or taken seriously if they are, just know that it's significantly higher for the community who struggles with severe mental illness. Mm. Okay, so I read about this woman who is medicated now and focuses really hard on keeping her mental health balanced or monitored, and she writes about it. So she wrote about her experience as someone who was diagnosed with schizophrenia And I just thought it gave a lot of really interesting insight because unless you know someone, I should say unless you're close with someone or have a closer relationship or familial relationship with someone who has schizophrenia, it can be really hard to understand. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Valerie Fox was in her 20s when she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She was hospitalized upon diagnosis and left with a prescription to help her function. Unfortunately, the side effects of her meds made her depressed and exhausted more so than she had ever been in her life. So she's like, this fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. After a few months, she talked to her psychiatrist and decided that the schizophrenia was either like a misdiagnosis or temporary. She had just had a breakdown from the stress of transitioning from her dependent teen years to living as an independent adult woman. So that's a very stressful time in someone's life that's probably triggered this, whatever. Her psychiatrist agreed that it was probably a one-off and Valerie went off her meds. That whole scenario with the psychiatrist sounds fucking wild to us now, but this was in the early 60s. Because mm. I was like, what? Yeah. They were just hitting big changes in the way mental illness was being handled. Okay. So prior to this era. This is coming
0: right off the fucking heels of like lobotomizing. And before that, it was dude, just throw him in his fucking. Yeah.
1: Yes. Before this. Psychiatric care consisted of long-term involuntary hospitalization with some really inhumane, quote, treatments. Mm -hmm. Treatments included things like electroshock therapy, which could be so intense that it would break a person's back. That's not a random occurrence either. It was common for that to happen. Jesus. That seemed advanced to what had been before when they thought that.
0: Well, and they didn't like put them under for it then either, right? They were like awake. Right.
1: Yeah. There was no sedation. They do, they do that now, right? They put yes. them. Yeah. They sedate people now and it's still really controversial. I mean, obviously there's been more research and whatever, but it's it's still fairly controversial. But yeah, they're under sedation, anesthesia.
0: Because yeah. duh. You know,
1: when they do that stuff and it's not as hardcore, like they're not doing it to the level that they were doing it then. But before that, before they were doing that, the thought of what brought on serious mental illness was demonic possession and Mm -hmm. witchcraft. And they treated those things with exorcisms and lobotomies. They would drill head holes to let the spirits out. Mm hmm. It wasn't even based in the fucking fucked up science that lobotomies were. We're, still,
0: we're like still in the early phases, I think, of mental health stuff. So it's been like oh, what? Like now maybe you a hundred. Mean- yeah. Even now. Oh, no, like, yeah,
1: dude. Yeah. I, I'm not
0: sure if I've talked about this before, but have you ever seen Brain on Fire?
1: Yeah. I read the book. Oh, my God. We talked about this. Yeah.
0: So amazing. I'm like, oh, my God, this is what people were getting exercised for.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, we do better when we have more information and they did not have information then. Mm-hmm. But there had to be something in you going like this is fucked up that we treat people like this. Right. Like they would involuntarily hospitalize them and chain them to a wall, you know. Um, yeah,
0: you'd think so. But, you know, at the time it was like, this is the most modern, up to date, scientific fucking research that we have, it you know, seemed
1: humane at the time. And before that, when it was like, oh, this is witchcraft and possession. If the exorcism didn't work. They would burn them at the stake. Like so many, so many people with mental illness. It's so crazy that a lot
0: of this happened to just
1: women, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Not all,
0: but I mean, a lot of women.
1: Right. Yeah. Ha ha funny. Yeah. (laughs) We were also yet to have an understanding of how these illnesses came about. At the time... In the 60s, uh, during this thing with Valerie, doctors didn't think that schizophrenia had anything to do with body chemistry, but instead believed it had something to do with the environment that the patients were in. So they weren't like, this is a family history thing. This is like none of that stuff. Yeah. So it also made sense with that school of thought why the psychiatrist would be like, yeah, for sure, you were super stressed out. This is not a lifelong thing. This isn't something that it's going to go back to happening. Yeah, You're good. So Valerie went off her medication and initially felt better than ever, but was soon back in the hospital because... She had schizophrenia. This visit became an extended stay in a long-term care facility. Mm -hmm. During this stay, she realized that she was going to have to stay on her meds to be able to function independently. Her thinking was because she believed the shit that the doctors said, where it was like, it's not genetic. It's not whatever. This isn't a thing that you'll always have. And she's like, well, when I'm off my meds, I go to the hospital. And when I'm on my meds, I don't. Um, So I'm going to stay on these meds.
0: Yeah. Which, wow. Wow.
1: Right. You know, her introspection is huge. Yeah. Okay, so she's like, I'm going to stay on these meds. She's released from the hospital. It was 1966 when Valerie met her husband and they had two kids of their own. She'd asked her psychiatrist about it. Can I be married? Can I have kids? Can I do all this stuff? And they were like, yeah. What are you going to do? Give your kids schizophrenia? Like, that's not how that works. And it, and it is. Yeah. Um. Even though Valerie had been managing her illness extremely well, it was regularly used against her in her marriage by her husband. Mm-hmm. If she got angry or wasn't agreement with him he would ask her if she was feeling ill valerie had been taking her meds regularly going to therapy he was just i would say being a controlling dick i would lose Mm -hmm. my shit If John brought that up every time I got upset. Mm -hmm. So she didn't like that. She eventually left him and got full custody of their daughters. This is how she lived for a while. It was she had changed the way she took her meds. So her doctor had her taking her meds at night. So it wasn't having the same bothersome effect that it did when she was taking them in the morning. And it was just like dragging her all day. Mm. 14 years after her hospitalization, Valerie ran into an issue that would fuck up her entire system, the way she had set up her life and learned to live. She began being regularly harassed in the night. I don't know the details of what led up to this, but she was noticing someone outside her window. She felt like she was being watched. There was something going on. Eventually, this person cut the screen of her bedroom window and she noticed it. She was freaking out when she had switched to taking her meds at night it was because they had made her so drowsy and down and whatever now she was afraid that because she slept so hard someone would get into her apartment and she wouldn't know it until it was too late so her psychiatrist was not down for this but valerie decided she had to go off her medication so she was able to be more vigilant and protect herself from a possible intruder
0: was it was it real
1: yes oh
0: my god yeah
1: because eventually the police caught this person and arrested them. The only time that she got so scared, she didn't say this, but maybe she did question, like, is this a meds thing? Is this... Yeah, I-
0: that's what I would think. I'm I, I, like In my head, I would be like, oh, my God, the
1: meds stopped working
0: or something. Or, Actually, or she's asking for help and nobody believed her. That would probably be
1: more of the case because a lot of times... And this is something I read and also have experience in. People that are transitioning into a schizophrenic reality or like different version of reality don't know that it's not real.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I'm not saying everybody. I'm sure there's plenty of times where people are like, wait a minute. But having that awareness is really hard. I mean, even with bipolar, you know, Mm. there's times where I don't, I mean, now that I'm medicated, it's like they're way more, they're way more uh, minor and any kind of trigger I kind of look at. But before I was medicated, John will tell me about instances where I had no idea that I was in a manic state or seeing like being in reality different than maybe somebody who wasn't having a mental illness issue you know Mm -hmm. and if he would have told me that at the time I would have been like are you fucking kidding me Mm -hmm. how dare you yeah anyway she's like I need to go off my meds I don't feel safe her psychiatrist doesn't like it but is like, what am I going to do? Like, you get to make that choice. Mm. And turns out this person was real. The police caught them and arrested them. By this point, she's off her meds, all of this. Valerie was exhibiting signs of untreated schizophrenia. It's the 70s at this point. There was a much bigger lean into meds and deinstitutionalization. So it wasn't like, oh, my God, she has to go to the hospital right away. She was an adult seeming to function. She was free to go about her business. Valerie was the only one not aware of how big, bad her mental state had gotten Mm. and a day came that while her daughters were away with their dad valerie was informed that they wouldn't be coming back her ex-husband had told her she was ill and the kids would be staying with him she was completely unaware that her reality wasn't real for anyone else Mm. And how scary and confusing yeah, and also being like, you said this shit our whole fucking marriage and now somehow you're able to keep my kids from me. That's mm. wild to be experiencing that. So she's crying over this. As she is, she sensed a presence with her. She believed that it was Jesus. She was raised super Catholic. So her alternate reality contained a lot of religious mm protectors so in her mind jesus was there to comfort her through this hard situation then the voice of the virgin mary and god the father started speaking to her as well and the presence of those beings stayed with her as she went deeper into her mental illness valerie was terrified but fully immersed in this reality she told them that if they were really god and mary they wouldn't ask her to do anything illegal and they were like yeah for sure We won't ask that of you. And she goes, "Okay, good, because I'm not going to do it. But I'll do everything else that you ask of me. She eventually ended up losing her apartment and living unhoused for two years. Statistics show that 30 percent of unhoused Americans living in shelters have severe mental illness. What's the percentage? 30 30 percent. But that's just the stats they were able to gather from those living in shelters. Yeah. It's not uncommon for someone who is having these experiences to not feel safe in a shelter. I mean, it's possible for people that aren't having mental illness issues to not feel safe in a shelter. But, you know, when there's paranoia and stuff about being watched and monitored, I'm just saying the stats are off as they always are in, in these kind of things. How do you keep track of that? During these two years, remember, Valerie's totally unaware that this is her mental illness. She did question it a few times. She'd think, is this real? Is this God really talking to me is living on the street. I don't know. Should I be doing this? But she would immediately be reassured by the very clear voices of God and Mary telling her that it was real. They were with her. This was a test to build her resilience. She would sleep outside almost freezing to death, but her hallucinations of Mary protecting her made her feel safe. Valerie would test the limits of her life, intentionally putting herself in danger with the certainty that her heavenly family would protect her. That's what she called it, her heavenly family. Hmm. The voices had her believe that when she was attacked, beaten and raped, that she wasn't a victim of a crime. They told her that the perpetrator had just mistaken her for someone else and she felt peace in all of it that is the only mention of her sexual assault and physical assaults that she experienced over the two years of being unhoused her focus was really on letting people know her experience and probably that there is hope in dealing with this kind of shit right but all i read was her mental illness prevented her from being able to say anything yeah or mm-hmm. from being able to be safe mm-hmm. she's living in this ruthless dangerous environment but at the same time is surrounded by this comfort You know, whenever she would hurt for her kids, these voices would remind her that the kids were taken care of. They were being watched over. Everything was love and safety. But after two years, completely unhoused on the street, completely out of touch with reality and only really communicating with the voices of God and Mary, Valerie was done. She was frail and thin, cold and exhausted. She started questioning if the reality she had been existing in was real. If God was Mm -hmm. with her, taking care of her, why were all of these awful things happening. The voice of God responded and told her that people got to have free will, so he had to let those things happen. Like, you were sexually assaulted, but that person had free will, and unfortunately, they didn't recognize it was you and not somebody else. But Mm -hmm. somehow, she took this moment of doubt and held on to it. Mm -hmm. She went and admitted herself into the hospital and was fortunate when the doctor admitting her treated her with kindness and respect, just had a really great bedside manner with her, and made her feel safe. I mean, she was fucking scared and on the fence about this being a good idea or not. But he was like, Olivia Benson, the shit out of it. Mm -hmm. The first month of her focus was just shelter and food. She was still existing in her schizophrenic reality, although the medication they put her on quieted the voices a little bit. She was trying to hear them, but it was harder for her to hear them because of the meds. After a couple of months, she was able to see the distinct difference between the two realities she had known and had to make the decision to live in the one that could get her back to. Her daughters, like that, was her focus. Mm -hmm. She was able to have this awareness enough to go, okay, these are two different realities, and it feels like how would this even be a hard choice? But in all of that fucked up shit that she lived in this untreated, unmedicated state that she was in, this other reality, she said she had never felt that kind of comfort and safety before. But it wasn't real, yeah. You know, in her reality, it it was. I don't know if that makes sense. You know, it's like the whole. It does. There was some. Something about it that she felt drawn to, but she felt more drawn to getting a relationship back with her daughters. She hadn't gotten to see them in two years. Yeah. So she spent a total of six months in treatment. And once released, Valerie reconnected with her psychiatrist, her daughter's. And started her life again. She also still considered herself a faith-driven person who follows a moral compass led by the Ten Commandments. But she specifically does not go to church because there's too much crossover. Yeah, yeah. Into this, I mean, people in churches and stuff talk about hearing the voice of God and did it up. It fucks with her mental health too much. So she can't. Yeah. Her consciousness is fucking vigilant because it has to be. Yeah. She also chose to be a part of outpatient commitment, which means that she's monitored by a program that in her opinion and experience prevents her from slipping back into homelessness is what she said. It can be controversial because it's being committed, but outpatients. I guess it's like checking in with like a PO and shit. Yeah. But I really appreciated this woman's story because... You know, you don't get to hear the first person perspective very often in this kind of situation. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, totally. What was her name again? Valerie what? Valerie Fox. Hmm. I'll have to look that up. I've never heard of her before.
1: There's a porn star named Valerie Fox. So not her, but a different one. Okay. I'll have the sources. Gee, I hope I don't go down a Valerie Fox rabbit hole on accident. You mean a Valerie Fox hole?
0: Yeah. Friendship boat. I hope I don't go down a den, a fox den of... All right. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, we're taking a little holiday break. Nothing too crazy.
1: We will be releasing a Patreon episode to give you a little something.
0: We'll be back January 9th with season six, episode 10, Haunted. So Toots gets hurt trying to save a kid. Everyone thinks he's a hero, but then someone from his past in narcotics comes forward and it's like, ooh. Uh
1: Uh-oh, Toots.
0: I don't know anything about it yet.
1: (laughs) Mm -mm, Me neither. God. Stop. No, I know. I can hate myself too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Rate and review us. Email us at supod at gmail.com. If you want to send us a little thing or something, P.O. Box 176 DeForest, Wisconsin 53532.
1: Christmas is coming and I like Christmas. Follow us on your presents. Follow us on all of the Christmas. social
0: media: <laughs> Instagram, TikTok at svupod. Get pod merch and more at SVUPod.com. Join the Facebook group SVU Pod Elite Squad. There's a Facebook group chat called Walk and Talk. Somebody on there made a book club called Single Tomato and hashtag Little Bit Loud to find Indie Pods. And if you are an Indie Pod, hashtag your shit Little Bit Loud so that other people can find you. And join the Patreon. We have tons of extra content. If you want, call or text us.
1: We want to hear from you.
0: Yeah. We want to hear stories. Go story. 1-920-345-7005. That number again is one 920 345-7005 and that's it
1: have a have a holly jolly holiday I'll be doing that see you next year okay love you bye uh, love you bye
0: I suck at not reading and I like talking I fucking suck at everything in my life okay. you were right to be mean to me I deserve it
1: <laughs> just for <No>. existing <laughs> Looks like we gotta find her. Search in the city, Search in the city. It's time to search the city for somebody we could have kept tabs on, but we chose not to. Okay, back at the precinct. <laughs> they
0: can't find Miranda. What a surprise. What?
1: I'm just like, boop-a-doop boop boop. And you're like, okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess like anywho, anywho's in Jazz hands, I'm an underwear ghost in a top hat. <laughs> <laughs> <Do-do-do-do-do-do-do>. <laughs> I'm just picturing it differently, I guess. What are you gonna do? Stop! Like, <laughs> I can't stop! <laughs> I can't stop! Might be my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> <I> God fuck!
0: <laughs>
1: are you okay? Wrong tube.
0: <clears throat> no, I just wanted attention. <laughs> and to our elite squad patrons. Sonia W., Marissa M., Elkie H., Mary D., Andrew,
1: Andrew,
0: Andrew, ooh, Tasha, that was good, um, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T., Mallory G., Benita R.,
1: Marin. Marin, Vanessa, Melanie G., Courtney W., Ursula S., Kate H., Kate P., Jessica S., Nicole M., Katarina G., Danielle W., Jenna M., Joshua H,
0: Tammy J, Blair, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac Tack, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren
1: T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, Kay Allen. Allen, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zan and J, Nata M, San, Madison H, Emily, Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Remember Raja? Uh, Raja O'Hara? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Vic.
0: <coughs> Jeez. I just needed a little attention. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was gonna say.
0: <laughs> Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B, Monica K, Katie S, Brenna T, Tasha S, Andrea H, Al H, Nikki R, oh, Aunt Sarah, Kat, Caitlin S, Emily D, Kate. Okay. <laughs> I did, but <it>. Caitlin, <laughs> you're such a fucking bitch.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm yeah. Emily D. Katie H. Lexi Y. Vern Jenna B. Catherine B. Ariana Madeline K. Meg M. Andrea M. Nikki B. Mallory J. And Lem. Thanks, guys. Hey, you guys. You know what? Hey, thanks. Hey, hey,
0: you go. Thank you, <laughs> you. Oh, you. Bye. You fucking guys. Look at you. Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> oh, bye,
1: bye. <laughs>